problems, discouragement in your life. You know what that means? It affects your attitude. And we're going to spend, we're going to spend about 10, maybe not quite that long. We're going to spend till, till spring. Um, so it all depends on the groundhog is how we're going to spend in this study. I want to do it on purpose because I want to work all winter long on our attitude so that when spring comes, we're not going to smile because it's spring. We're going to smile into spring because we've worked on our attitudes. Um, let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look every week, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at an attitude, and then we're going to look at the following week, how to fix that attitude. Okay? We're going to look at um, may, maybe the, the, the negative first, and then we're going to look at how to or what we should do to fix it. Because this is, this is what we've got to remember. It's one thing to look at something in our life that needs to change. It, it's another thing to change it. Um, most of the time, though, if we're not careful, we'll, we know it, and we, I want to get rid of that bad attitude or that negative attitude, but we've got to replace it with something as well. Or you know what happens if you don't fill that void? Comes back. Comes back. And so we're going to work, we're going to, every week, we're going to, really, I guess every other week, we're going to look at a, an attitude, and then we're going to look at how to fix it, okay? How many of you have ever been to the dentist, and the dentist says, it's only going to pinch a little bit? And, and you want to... You want to hit the dentist when they, a little bit? Are you serious? That hurts. It's easy for you to say that because you're standing there making it pinch. But that initial pinch hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. And I know that because really as I was studying through this, especially this one this evening, um, the Lord really convicted me. Convicted me, and I'll get into that this evening, because a lot of times we don't even realize we have the attitude that we have. We don't even understand. We don't even realize it. How many of you have ever looked at someone else and said, you got a bad attitude? Huh? We can recognize it in someone else. I, I, I want to I say this. I told the one o'clock service this. I'm not, I'm not preaching or teaching to someone that's not here. I'm not even going to teach to the person next to you. I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to preach, teach to me. Because it's so easy to find these attitudes in someone else. It's so hard to see it in us. And we're the ones that's responsible for us. I want you to see with me, Paul is writing the church at Corinth, and he says in verse number one, moreover, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Now, he's not calling them ignorant. He's saying, I don't want you to be without this understanding. I, I, I want you to be I want you to have knowledge in this. Now, what I like about Paul, Paul just doesn't teach for knowledge. He also teaches for application. What Paul is going to say here is this. I want to teach you something so that you become something. I'm going to teach you something to be something. So if you just get knowledge, and this is why we've got to be careful, because sometimes we could walk away and say, boy, they really needed that message. We need to say, boy, I needed that, and now I need to change. We looked at, for eight weeks or so, how the gospel should change us. And if we just sit in church and nothing ever changes, then we just sit ignorant. This information we get from God's word, it ought to lead us to do something, be something, and the gospel ought to change us. And so he says uh, in verse number two, and, and we're all baptized unto Moses, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock. That rock is capitalized. That's Christ that, that uh, followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. How would you like your generation to be written and God was not well pleased? This was an entire generation of people that God is saying he's not well pleased. And Paul is writing and he's saying, now these things, in verse number six, were for our examples. 
to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. How many of you would say lusting is sin? Strong, right? You with me? All right, and so what Paul is saying is this. I'm writing to you about them so that they are an example to us. They lusted, and we can't lust, neither um, be idolaters, as were some of them. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. How many of you would say idolatry, worshiping someone other or something other than the one true God? It's sin, right? It's sin. It's wrong. And so lusting is wrong, and, 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 and worshiping another God is wrong. And, and then he says in verse 8, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three uh, uh, three and, and 20,000. How many of you would say sexual immorality is wrong, right? Paul teaches about that. He's saying the example that we saw from the children of Israel, these things are sin. They're wrong. And we can't, we, we look at them for an example not to live this way. He says in verse number nine, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Tempting Christ would be wrong. It's sin. It leads to um, being destroyed here. And then he says in verse number 10, neither murmur ye. And some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. How many of you would say murmuring and complaining is sin? Yet I do it all the time. Boy, it's... I'll preach against fornication, preach against sexual sin, preach against lusting, preach against uh, idolatry. But I complain today. I won't ask you if you complain today, but the reality is it's human nature. Many of us, if not all of us, we struggle in this area. And the reason why we struggle in this area is I don't think we understand how sinful and wrong it really is. How many of the first time somebody wrongs you, you complain? Your life isn't the way you want it to be, and so we complain. A complaining spirit, a murmuring and complaining. Uh, I want you to turn with me, and you can, you can leave your space, your spot there. I want you to go to the book of Numbers with me here as we begin this study. This evening, our first topic, our attitude, is going to be on murmuring and complaining. Murmuring. Now, this was the place in the 1 o'clock service that one of the ladies spoke up and said, Pastor, what is murmuring and complaining? And I said, I'm, I'm going to teach a whole message on it. <laughs> Stay with me. We're going we're gonna to look at that here this evening. What is murmuring and complaining? I want you to see here, num Numbers chapter 14. Look with me in verse number 21. Numbers 14, verse number 21. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because of all the, those men which have seen my glory and all my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, tempted them ten times. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. So something happened here with the children of Israel, an entire generation, anyone from the age of 20 and above is not going to go in and see the promised land. What God is saying is, I've had it with this group of people. I'm done with them. Now, his intent was to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land. That was his goal. They're sitting on the edge of the promised land. They're there. This was not a 40-year um, uh, route to get to the promised land. The only detour they had was to go to Mount Sinai, but that was uh, on purpose to get the law, and then from there they were going to go into the promised land and, and occupy the promised land. But God wanted to give them the law on how to live once they got into the promised land. God never intended them to take the, the, the amount of time it took to get into the promised land. And then an event happened where God said, that's it, I'm done. And surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had another spirit. I want you to circle that word spirit there. It's not capitalized. He's not talking about the spirit of God. He's talking about Caleb's what? His attitude. How he sees things. Because your attitude affects your decisions. 
He says, Caleb had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. And so, um, what happened? Why, why are all of these adults, male and female, everyone over the age of 20, why are they not allowed to go in? What made them, God so angry? And what did Caleb do that made God so pleased with him? In verse number 25, we find out who's in the land. And, and he says, tomorrow, turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and said unto Aaron, saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation? They're evil. What, what, what makes them so evil? Which murmur against me. You, you mean to tell me that God did not allow an entire generation of people to go into the promised land? They all died in the wilderness. They, they, they circled for 40 years in the wilderness. They caused him so much anger because they murmured. How many of you would say that murmuring is a big deal to God? It's a big deal to God. The focus of murmuring is on the meaningless words that flow from my lips that reflect the unbelief that's in my heart. That's what murmuring is to God. I don't believe that God knows what he's doing. I don't believe that God's plan is effective. You see, what the children of Israel were doing when they murmured against God, what they were saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. You brought us, and we'll see here in a little bit, you brought us into uh, the wilderness out of Egypt to die. You're going to kill our children. You're going to kill our wives. And they said this, it's better that we would go back into Egypt because what you're doing isn't fair. What, what happens is this, God gives you a life that he chooses for you to live. You have a choice. You have a choice that Caleb had. This is going to be the life that I'm going to live in the power of God, in, 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 in the joy of the Lord, or I'm going to take what God has given me and I'm going to murmur against him. And God said, enough's enough. What I wanted to give you is going to go to your children, but you're not going to see this. And, and, and those who... Those who uh, chose murmuring as a, uh, a lifestyle, those who choose murmuring as a lifestyle, is they're going to spend their lifetime in the wilderness. When we as human beings, as we as Christians, choose murmuring as our lifestyle, we end up spending our, our lifetime in a spiritual wilderness. And I believe this, that God has something for each and every one of us but it's how we choose to accept what he wants to give us is how if we get the blessings and what he has in store or we choose to live in a wilderness. And so I want to ask us a few questions this evening and then in the end I'm going to ask us three questions to close. But how do we deal, how do we handle, how do we deal with diversity? How do we deal with disappointment? Do you understand this, that God, his will at times for us is to have disappointment? His will for us is to get ourselves in a place where we don't know what to do and how to handle it? So let me, let me, let me, let me set the stage so that we're, we, we understand what I'm saying here this evening. He brings Egypt, or, or Israel out of Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness. He brings them to the place called the Red Sea where, where, where uh, Pharaoh is behind them and the Red Sea is before them. Did he bring them there to complain about the situation? Why did God bring them to a place of hopelessness? Why did God bring them to the place where they could not fight and they could not move forward? Why did he bring them to that place? He brought them there not for them to murmur and complain about their, their plot in life. He brought them there so that he could reveal himself to them and they would see his power and his might and worship him. 
God has not brought you to any place of distress and distraught and stress or burdens in your life so that he leaves you there empty to die. And he surely didn't bring you there so that you complain about the, 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 the lot that you have in life. He brought you there so that you could do as Caleb did, have the spirit of trusting God. The spirit. Now, now Caleb, Caleb was, it wasn't like Caleb went in there and, and they said, man, there's giants. And Caleb's like, I didn't see any giants. But the Amalekites and, 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 and the, the, the people of the land, they're, they're like everywhere. Caleb didn't say, I didn't see anybody. Caleb saw the same thing that the ten spies saw. He saw giants. He saw the land was full of enemies. He saw all the negative things that the ten spies saw, but his spirit was right. And so in seeing them, he didn't see them as an obstacle. In seeing them, he saw what God could do to overcome them. But how do we handle disappointment? And this is the, this is the, the reality. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm speaking to me this evening, and if it helps you, praise the Lord. I choose to handle it by complaining. It's sin. My first response in most of the things in my life that I don't like, I murmur. When somebody does something to me, you know what I do? I, I want to be, I want to handle it. God, you brought this for a reason. Let me learn your lesson. Most of the time, the first thing I do is I complain. When I hear something I don't like, you know what the first thing I do is? Complain. This isn't fair. How many of you ever said, this isn't fair? And many of you ever said, that that's not fair? What God has given you in life is fair because it's of him. And what he is looking for is how you're going to respond. We murmur and we don't even realize it because it's become our lifestyle. Somebody cut you off the road. How many of you thank them for that? You thank them when they cut drop? No, we tell them what we think, don't we? We call him, I'm not saying Greg, I've never been in a car where anybody cut him off the road. I wouldn't cut Greg off the road if I saw him. His car's too big and he's too big. But we normally have names for him. We tell them how we feel. When your employer gives you news you don't like, what's the first thing you do? Murmur. When God allows something in your life that you don't like, what's the first thing you do? Murmur. And God says, it's wrong. And God says, I don't put these things in you to complain. I put these things in your life so you yield to me. But this is the problem. We don't even realize it because we're so used to it. I complain today, I murmur today about things. I catch myself after it's done, and I say, why? Because I don't even realize I'm doing it. And when we murmur and we complain, we end up hurting people. We end up acting out in such a way. And God doesn't receive the glory. As a matter of fact, what happens is we become destroyed. And we need to learn to replace this bad attitude with a good one. What would be a good attitude to replace it with? Not a trick question. Thankfulness. Praise. Gratitude. Thank you for moving over into my lane. I wanted to share. Number one, I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down. We choose our attitudes. We choose our attitudes. 
Caleb didn't see anything different than the other 10. He just chose to have a better attitude. And there's a difference. We choose our attitudes. In, 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 in point A, someone tells me that I, I, I don't outline very well, so tonight I'm going to try to do my best to outline. Number one, we choose our attitude. Letter A, attitudes are patterns of thinking. Attitudes are patterns of thinking. And God is holding the children of Israel responsible for their attitude. And hear me this evening, God is holding you responsible for your attitude as well. We need to see that tonight. God is holding you responsible for your attitude. I heard a preacher give an illustration of a really funny illustration one time. He, he took a ball and he, he said, I'm a two-year-old and this is a ball that my parents just gave me. And he's playing with the ball and he's acting like a two-year-old. I'm not going to do that this evening. But he's acting like a two-year-old. He bounces the ball and it comes back and he laughs. He bounces the ball and it goes over there to where Michelle's sitting. And this is how he could choose to act. Stupid ball. I'm bouncing a ball, and the stupid ball goes over there, and it's the ball's fault. I'm a good bouncer. There's nothing wrong with me. Something's wrong with the ball. Or, stupid parents, <laughs> why would they give me a ball that when I bounce it, it doesn't come back to me? Or, I'm just a dumb ball bouncer that can't get it right. Everybody else knows how to bounce a ball and it comes back to them, but I'm just, I just, something's wrong with me. I'm a bad ball bouncer. Or I'll just go get it and try again. I'll just go get it and move forward. It's not the ball's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my fault. It's what life has given me I'm going to go get it. I'm going to bounce it again. You see, in something so simple, you have four ways that you could deal with it. That's so juvenile and so small. Bring that into the problems you're dealing with in your life right now. Blame the problem. Blame somebody else. Feel bad for yourself. None of that fixes the problem until we own it and we say, you know what? I'm just going to go pick it. There's no sense complaining about the ball. There's no sense complaining about my parents. There's no sense complaining about me and how lousy I am. Just go get the ball. Pick it back up. Bounce it again. God is holding you responsible for your attitude. The book of Numbers, and I don't have the time this evening, and I would, I'm going to give you some verses here to go through, and I want you to study these, but you're going to find that God finally says, and we read it here in Numbers 14, 10 times, enough's enough. I'm judging, I'm judging these people. Life, uh, Chuck Swindoll said this, life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Have you ever heard that, read that from him? Say, life is 10% what happens and 90% how I deal with it. And this is what the problem is, though, in our life. Most of us get it opposite. We say, no, my life is 90% what happens to me, 10% of how I deal with it. This is not about me and how I deal with it, when the reality is every situation you find yourself in your life, you, you are the one that dictates how you deal with it. Somebody can hurt you. Somebody can mess up. Somebody can do something wrong. You have the power to respond with the attitude. And so B would be this, A, attitudes are patterns of thinking. B, attitudes are patterns of thinking um, formed over a long period of time. The reason why we struggle with this murmuring and complaining is because it's a habit that we've had for a long period of time. I see it in my children. How many of you ever put food in front of your children and before they even tasted it, they told you they don't like it? How many of you have sat in front of food and said, I, my, um, I, I, I guess this, this message is for me. I would go home and I would sit and I would complain about what my wife would cook. I would do it so often, didn't I? To where my kids started doing it. 
And, and Michelle said to me finally, she said, why do you complain every night about what I cook? I said, I don't every night. She said, every night. I said, I don't every night. I didn't last night because if we ordered pizza, I didn't cook. So I don't complain every night. But the reality is I didn't even see I was doing it every night. Some of you ladies are laughing. How many of you have, how many of that happened to, huh? Or is, am I the only one? Just me and the Burgesses? Nobody else? All you other men won't even raise your hand. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm looking at you right now. I'm not even looking at my wife. <laughs> How many of you argued about that tonight? <laughs> uh, you can thank me, ladies, for this message. I would, I would complain without even realizing it. My kids started complaining because I was complaining. And when she brought it to my attention, honestly, I thought, you're right. You're right. No matter what, I was going to complain because I've done it my whole life. Our kids complain. We complain. And, and it takes time to change an attitude, but, but this is the reality, ch church, the gospel ought to start to change that in us, and we have to stop having the excuse, it's just who I am. I've been this way a long time. God's not satisfied with a complaining, murmuring spirit. In, in Numbers chapter 1, I want you to look with me, Numbers chapter 1, just turn a few pages over. You with me tonight? It's just going to pinch a little bit. And when the people complained... It displeased the Lord. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Do you see the people had a choice? You know what choice they chose? To complain. And when they did, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. You would have thought they murdered somebody because he was so mad. You would have thought they were worshiping another idol. You would have thought he caught them all in this big sexual sin. He heard them murmuring, and this is what he did. Consumed them. I want you to write this down. Number two. We're on number two, right? Number, number two, write this down. Complaining is sin. We need to come to realize that. We need to stop looking at all the bad sin that everybody else is doing and saying, I don't do those things. Complaining and murmuring is sin. And God hates it. I, I want you to, to, to write this down. The, the, um, the word sin means this, missing the mark. When we complain and murmur, we miss the mark. So the word sin means missing the mark, failing in regards to God's holy standard and just demands. That's the definition of sin. When we complain, we miss the mark, and we fail in regard to God's standard, his holy standard, and demand. The problem is this. Most people don't see complaining as sin. And that's why we do it. And complaining, complaining is this, and I want to make sure that we understand complaining because complaining does not mean, okay, there's a problem in my marriage with Michelle and I need to address it. By me addressing a problem in our life is not complaining. Okay? Um, we, I, I, um, I'm passionate about abortion in our country. I mean, 60 million babies are murdered in our country since Roe versus Wade. By addressing that doesn't mean I'm complaining. This is the definition. Complaining is to express dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong. And I'm not doing my uh, doing, I'm doing nothing myself to correct. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong. And I'm doing nothing myself to correct. If I notice something in my marriage that is wrong, and I bring it to Michelle's attention, I'm not complaining. 
If I just don't like something, I just don't like her cooking. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't like it. That's complaining. Or, or me bringing things out to, to, to address, but doing nothing to fix. That's complaining. If, if I said to you this, man, abortion is wrong, and, and, and these people that are for it, they're just wicked people, and they're wrong, and, 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 and that in itself isn't complaining, but if someone says, would you do me a favor, would you write your congressmen and your senators, and, and would you get involved, and would you, then, and, and I say, no, I'm not doing anything about it. You know what that I'm doing? It's just simply complaining, because I'm not willing to do anything about it. I had a fellow that when I pastored in Georgia, he, we, we had buses that we would run, and we were in the, in the inner city. We, matter of fact, we just got news this evening. One of the kids that ran, rode our buses to church, 17-year-old um, right now, just got arrested for murder there in Columbus, Georgia, and rode our buses to church. We'd go and we'd pick in the projects. We'd pick kids up, and we were, we were always looking for helpers or workers to help us. And I had a fellow say to me, he said, I, I love our church because we have a bus ministry. And I said, that's awesome. He says, matter of fact, I came to this church because we have a bus ministry. I said, that's awesome. He said, I wouldn't stay at the church if we didn't have a bus ministry. I said, that's awesome because we need bus workers. I'll see you Saturday. He said, oh, I can't work in a bus ministry. What? What? Didn't do anything about it. See, complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with a circumstance that's not wrong, and I'm not willing to do anything myself to correct it. Complaining is against something wrong. Or, I'm sorry, complaining is against something not wrong, and it's I'm not willing to do anything to correct it. Then I'm just simply complaining. And God makes no distinction between your words and your thoughts. We need to remember that as well. They're equally audible to him. You say, well, you know what I've learned? I've learned just to keep it to myself. Well, God knows your heart. And it's equally to him. He wants that spirit out of you. He doesn't want you just to be quiet and, and just sit in a corner and pout and hold your feelings in. He wants a different spirit in you. He wants the spirit of Caleb in you. When you see a problem, you instead of seeing the problem, you see a great God. Instead of seeing an obstacle, you see a great God. Instead of saying, woe is me, and this isn't fair, and I don't like this lot in life, you say, God can give me the strength to overcome this. I'm depending on him. I want you to write this down, number three. God hears our complaining. God hears our complaining. Does that matter to us? A parent, and husband and wife went on a date and by themselves left their kids at home. When they got home, there was no kids were in the house. Couldn't find them. It was dark. Not in the living room. They went upstairs. They weren't in the bedroom. They looked all through the house, and they couldn't find them, and they... Said, so, well, one place we need to look is the basement. They woke down, looked down the basement in the side room in the basement. They saw the door was shut, and under the door they saw the light on. What are the kids doing in there? Mom and dad walked over and they thought, man, maybe they're, maybe they're talking, maybe they're making a gift for us. Maybe there's a surprise. Maybe they're doing something for us. So when they would come home, they we find them and they jump out and tell us how much they loved us. And they come to the door and they're listening to the door. And what they heard was mom and dad are awful. We don't like mom and dad. It's not fair. Mom and dad went out tonight and didn't take us. I wish I had a different mom and dad. How many of you that if you were those parents, when you listened to what was said, you would say, that makes me feel so good to hear what's going on in secret? No, as parents, you would say that's devastating. And it's devastating to God as well. When his children take the life that he's given them and complain and say it's not fair. God's not a good God. God doesn't care. What he's given me is too much. God hears our complaining. I want you to write these down. I, for sake of time, I need to be finishing here a little bit farther ahead. I want you to write these references down. Would you do that? Just four references. Would you write down Exodus chapter 14, verse number 12? God hears your complaining. You know what Exodus 14, 12 tells you? God hears it. Would you write down Exodus 15, 24? And just go back and study these. How, how, how many of you 
care about what God hears. I mean, we just got done studying the gospel. He loves us. He sent his son. He died for us. He showed us compassion. While I was an enemy of God, he still loved me. And, and, and he did all that for me. He left heaven's home. He came to this earth. He went to the cross. He bore my sin upon the cross. And he's not good enough. His will for my life isn't fair. The lot he's given me is just not right. And God hears it. Exodus 16.3. In Exodus 17.3, Exodus 16.3 and Exodus 17.3, would you just write those down? I want you to do the study. I want you to see that God hears our complaining. I walked in on someone, a group of people that were talking one time. What they didn't realize is I was walking in the kitchen right there. And I walked in on a group of people that were talking, and they were talking about me. And it hurt. And I thought to myself, it's that much even greater when I murmur about God. It hurts because he hears it. And he is a good God. And he does know what's best. And he is still on his throne. And he is fair. And he is just. And he does love us. But Israel said, you don't know what you're doing. You've left us here to die. Look with me to Numbers chapter number 11. We're still here, right? Numbers 11, verse number one. I want you to take, would you, in your notes, would you just write Numbers 11, one, and then write this next to it. Complaining, what they're complaining is about, they're complaining about their misfortune. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them, that they were uh, in, in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the reason why they complained, they were complaining about their misfortune. Something wasn't fair. And they didn't even care that God heard them. Listen, we need to focus our teaching on complaining, and we need to look at the exact subject matter that's being forbidden, complaining, 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 complaining about what? Look with me in Numbers 14. Turn over a couple pages. In verse number 28, we read this already, I believe, right? Numbers 28. And he said unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, for 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. You know what he said? You want to complain? You, you, you want to say that I am this? Then I'll give you this. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell there, therein, save Caleb, Joshua. But your little ones, which, which he uh, said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness for 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcass be wasted in the wilderness. You know what I look at there? My critical, complaining, murmuring spirit affects other people. It affects my children. They see me living a way, they're going to model it. I want you to look at this. Numbers 14, 20, what we just read, I want you to write this down in your notes. God takes an entire generation and makes an example out of them. It's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, would you learn from this, please? Would you learn from this? I love, I love history. Um, there's a new book that just came out. It was the first conspiracy in, in 
our country. It was against, it was the plot against uh, George Washington. How many of you see that in that new book that just came out? I'm going to tell you all about it so you don't have to buy it. Here we go. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. But what happens is that somebody's got a plot against him. And when they find it out, you know what they did? They dealt with it immediately. Because here the Continental Army was sitting in New York. The British are coming, and they've got a traitor they have to deal with because if they don't deal with it, it could spread. And Paul said, God took an entire generation, what we're looking at in numbers, killed them in the wilderness for your sake. Learn from it so that you don't come into the same. And we think, we read this and we think, well, God won't deal with me like that because I'm different than the Israelites. I have a real problem. I mean, life's not fair for me, and I don't like the lot. Well, life wasn't fair for them, and they didn't like where they were at. And God heard their murmuring, and he said, you're done. And Paul said, listen to this. That's an example for you, so you don't behave this way as a child of God. Look with me in Numbers 14, verse number 3. Numbers 14, verse 3. The Bible says, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land? Listen to what they're saying. To fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? Listen, that's like you saying this. I got saved and God put this on me. It'd be better if I was lost. That's what it sounds like when we murmur and complain. Let me ask you this. You know the whole story. Did God bring them out there to die by the sword? Did he bring them out there to kill their children? Did he bring them out there to kill their wives? Is it better for them to go back into Egypt? You see, it's a spirit, it's an attitude. God is displeased when you complain about your lot in life and the circumstances that are unique to you. Listen, every single person in this room has a unique circumstance to them. My, my, my unique circumstance is I grew up in a home where my dad was in the ministry and we moved every couple years and, and, and I hate moving now and I hate saying goodbye now and my in-laws will come to visit and when, it, when they get ready to leave, I don't even say goodbye. I just leave, I walk into another room. They think I'm trying to avoid them. I don't like to say goodbye. I don't like, I, I don't like to say goodbye because of growing up, I got tired of having to say goodbye to people. And so I just avoid people. If I have to say goodbye to people, when we left our church in Georgia, I, I just, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to say goodbye again. And so there's a unique, every single person has a unique lot in life. And we're not to complain about it. We're to accept this is what God has for me and see God work. So his power is shown and he receives worship with our life. God is in control, just like he was with Israel. He is in control. We need to learn, or or, I'm sorry, we need to lean into him, and we need to grow in our faith. And and hear me on this. Uh, um, uh, we, We need to have a total attitude of surrender. How many of us sing that song, I Surrender All, when we know in our heart we haven't surrendered even half? If we surrendered all, we would simply say, God, this is what you've given me. I trust you. Listen to me here, please. This is where it's the, if you get through the out, you'll understand. God brings diversity and difficulty and stress and burdens in our life not to ruin us, to run back to Egypt. He brings those things in our life so our faith is increased, so we learn to trust him. The difficulty or the lot in life or the unique circumstance that you have in your life that's so much unique than anyone else, he's given you that not because he hates you, not because he's mad at you, not because you're less, not for any negative reason. He's given you that. So that thing is what you lean into him for and your faith is increased even greater. It's where our faith is increased. Spent the afternoon with Suzanne Sears. And it's tough. It's tough when you get news that you don't like. I preached my message to her this afternoon. 
I said, can I tell you what God did to me, what showed me? I sat on her couch next to her and in tears we're looking at the unique place that God has you is not to ruin you. It's so you lean into him and your faith grows. And the question is this, are you a Caleb or are you a 10 spies that I go and what do I, what's my spirit like? What's my attitude like? Am I going to lean into God and have faith that he's going to take care of these giants? Am I going to lean into God and have faith that he's going to take care of my unique situation? Am I going to lean into God and have faith that he's going to see this through? Or am I going to complain and say this isn't right? And when I complain about what God has given me, I miss out on what God wants me to have. Did you get that? They wandered in the wilderness. They didn't get the promised land. Uh, number four, and I, I've got to be done here. God, number four, would you write this down? God hates our complaining. God hates our complaining. And just write down Numbers chapter 11 there, verse number one again. The Lord in his anger was kindled. The fire burned among them. Would you write down verse number 10 as well? And then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. But would you look at verse number 33? And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was, it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Would you look at chapter number 12, verse number 9? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Would you look at Numbers 25, just a few pages, Numbers 25, verse number 4? He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, Failing in, in, falling in a trance, but having his eyes open, how, uh, I'm sorry, 25, 25, 4. I'm sorry, I can't read my own handwriting. I thought, that doesn't sound right. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and, have, and hang them upon before the Lord against the sun, and the fierce anger of the Lord may be returned away from Israel. He hates complaining. Numbers 32, 16, write that down. You go and you see that. Well, we're here. Let me just turn there. We're almost done. Numbers 32, 14. Behold, you are risen up in your father's stead, increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. And then I want you to write this down. My last point here, God judges our complaining. God judges complaining. Don't, don't think because it's you, it's unique, that God's just going to wink at murmuring. He said in verse number one, you just write that back down, Numbers 11, one, his fierce anger, and he smote the people. And so I want, you to, I want you to write these three questions down. Could you do this in preparation for next week? Real quick, number one, am I a complainer? Am I a complainer? Number two, am I reaping the consequences of complaining in my relationship with God? Am I reaping the consequences of complaining in my relationship with God? And then number three, am I willing to repent? Am I willing to repent? You see, the old has to go out before the new comes in. And next week, we're going to look at we're going to talk about how to replace this negative, complaining, murmuring spirit. But before you do, you got to, you got to say, am I complaining? What's the first thing you do when you get news you don't like? How much time do you spend in the lunchroom at work when you get news you don't like from your employer? How much time do we spend complaining about the lot that God, God's given us in life? And God says, I, 
when you complain, you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. And, and let me ask you this. At what, was there any point at all in the Exodus that God didn't know what he was doing? Did God fail them when he came to the Red Sea? You think God was worried? What are we going to do now? I didn't think this one through. Quick, get the map out and see if there's another way. Do, do you think that God was shocked when they got into the wilderness on the other side and there was no food? Do, do you think that concerned God? Do you think God said, I missed that one? Oh, yeah, I've got to feed two million people. Do you think that when there was no water or the water was bitter or there was no water, do you think that surprised God? Do you think any of those lots that they had that were unique to them, do you think any of those things, when they came up, God said, how'd I miss this? We better quit and get a plan together. All of those things were about a plan so that people would lean into God and trust him. I can depend on you. Instead of saying back here, God, do you know what you're doing? God, do you know where I'm at? God, do you know that I'm hungry? God, do you know that I'm thirsty? God, do you know that it's hot? God, do you know that it's cold? God, do you know that Moses hasn't come down? What all God wants you to do is lean into him and say, God, I know where you're at. And you promised to, to supply my needs. That's the spirit Caleb had. And that's why Caleb got to go to the promised land. What is our attitude like? Father, help us, I pray, that the